0: This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald.
1: I'm Ramia Amadin and this is Kelly and Ramia.
0: Welcome back to the program ladies and gentlemen. Ramya Boothin, Kelly McDonald, we are here as the hosts of this program and glad that you're here listening in as you normally are right now uh, to the show and uh, whatever you're doing, folks. Absolutely wonderful to have you on board. Uh, Ramya, I, um, I'm going to ask you, if you wouldn't mind, start with a little item for us here. Yeah. What do you got?
1: Okay, so we're just um, getting started with some conversation and hopefully we can get to our guest for voices because that'll be really, really fun. But in the meantime, a police boat came to the rescue of a man in danger of missing his wedding in Boston Harbor. And this was from mm -hmm, this last weekend. Patrick and Hannah Mahoney's had their wedding on Thompson Island. The boat the groom was supposed to take broke down, leaving him stranded at the dock. That's when the Boston Police Department's Harbor Patrol Unit stepped in for this groom in distress call. Officer Joseph Matthews, along with his partner, were able to get everyone to the island safely. That was from a reporter, Daini Bucci, and also the groom said he was determined to get to his wedding and probably would have walked over after the low tide arrived. At, that was at 6 p.m. I mean, I think weddings are the most stressful. I just want to put that out there. Like, <laughs> no matter what it is, uh, the groom, the bride, the bridal party, the groomsmen, the guests, the music, the... Uh, the aesthetics, the food, whatever it may be, weddings can be the most stressful. And on the day of you're literally just keeping your fingers crossed that things go as planned. And then when they don't, what do you do? I guess you hopefully don't stress and hopefully someone can come to the rescue like, oh, uh, man. like it happened with this groom. But well,
0: wow. And what a way and you know, you're sure your dogged determination, of course. It it's your most special day. And you stop and say, well, what's going on here? What, how are things, the stars not aligning properly mm-hmm. here? And how frustrated one one could get. But it's always amazing when something happens like that. Y- you know, you have to form, formulate that backup plan all the way to low tide, you know. And knowing that's still yeah. a ways away. I'll walk <laughs> from here. You know, a- anyone hearing that's just like, oh, man. But you just hope, of yeah. course, um, people notice that uh, I'm not around or that I can't be found. And- <laughs> like- <laughs> and start looking for help. I, I maybe half people at the, world, the wedding
1: might notice I'm not there. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Half the
0: world knows I'm out boating, <laughs> and right? what do I? What can I do from there? And that's that's the part that just makes me smile.
1: You know what? When you said, um, or why aren't the stars aligning? I kind of wonder when you're planning your wedding. Like some people have destination weddings, um, or or weddings that are just you know on top of a cliff or something like you know, out of the ordinary, right? You're not just parking your car outside the venue and (laughs) going over, uh, like maybe the stage is situated in an interesting place. Maybe you're taking a horse and buggy ride. Like I had a friend who did that. So anyway, you're thinking, or the question is, do you think about what could go wrong in these scenarios if you're thinking of anything outside the box for your wedding? Like I know the simple stuff like outdoor versus indoor wedding people oh, think about exactly. getting rained out, right? But in stuff like this, like you go out boating and then you're like, oh crap, I might not make it to my wedding.
0: Well, and, and that's <laughs> that's the whole thing. You know, you you I mean, can you just imagine that cloud that you feel like, okay, now that this has happened, what else is destined to be a problem? What else yeah. is destined to go wrong? And you just Hope to heaven's sakes that, no, that's not, it can't, nothing else can go wrong. That's not a symbol. And again, some people, there's always that person there that's superstitious about it.
1: I mean, okay, yes, you're right. Not everybody is superstitious about it, but most of us, like I said, are keeping our fingers crossed, especially if you're part of the wedding party um, or, you know, close, in some close relation to the wedding Because I've been part of now two wedding parties in my life, and both of them, I mean, even though I wasn't the one actually getting married, I was like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Because to some level, you're just hoping that everything turns out perfectly. I would not want to be the wedding planner at any wedding.
0: Do you think that when stuff like this happens... Weddings are that thing where people instantly go to the bad karma, that this is going to not be good, more than any other thing yeah. that people do. I mean, people write exams, they, they have surgeries and things like that. And I have to wonder sometimes, is this the thing that people, the most, any little thing that happens, does it totally make They're them... They're thinking ah. of it as a
1: thing. Yep. Yeah. Because there's so much nerves and anxiety around the concept of marriage itself right like you're you're committing and you see this in all kinds of movies and tv and books like the the bride or the groom having cold feet last minute or something comes up Um, I had a friend who said she was laying down at her mom's house the night before her wedding saw a photo of herself across from her like on the wall um, of her younger self with bangs and so she decided that minute right there and then somebody needed to come and cut her hair short with bangs and she was not getting married without this haircut. Wow. And her wedding was in like yeah, you know, a matter of half a day. So it, it, it's just like all these little triggers like anything as you're saying can be triggering because you're going, "Oh god, I am not doing this. Not on the not on my wedding day."
0: <laughs> yeah. And and I and I think that that's the whole you don't want that rain cloud over it. And I mean, mm-hmm. I have to believe there's something that, you know, just doesn't go to any bride or groom's satisfaction. There's always something that kind of leaves people, oh, man, that didn't work out. Oh, I didn't like that. Or, oh, that was a problem. Um, and, and, and you know, th- that that we're going to when you analyze the day and hopefully as you get further away from it, it, it everything was wonderful. Everything was great. But as you analyze yeah. it, yeah, this, this went wrong or that went wrong, or I really hoped. And a lot of that happens. And, and I'm sure for most people, it it's quite a, you know, quite a, quite an issue that way. When you remind yourself, it, it can't yeah. be that bad. It can't be that big of a, a problem, you know? So, uh, let's uh, let's uh, talk about the Getty Museum in Los Angeles, uh, which has been actually forced to return some stolen artifacts from Italy.
1: The life sized terracotta statues date back to around 350 BCE and along with four other objects were stolen and smuggled out of Italy, eventually making their way to the Getty Museum. An investigation by the Antiquities Trafficking Unit of Manhattan's District Attorney Office confirmed they were stolen goods. The statues have been on a list of stolen artifacts Italy has been trying to reclaim since 2006. They were bought by John Paul Getty from a now-defunct private bank in Switzerland in 1976. Megan Williams, ABC News, Rome.
0: You think this stuff now happens or where these discoveries um, happen and we're saying, you know what, we've got to give this back or this can't be this way. Uh, This is what we've got to do when it comes to some of these problems.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a trend, if you will, uh, that we're seeing right where we're seeing. We we gotta get to the bottom of where these things came from, uh, return them to their rightful owners, their rightful places, their um, it, you, just their original integrity and ownership, right or creation. Um, so I think that it's pretty wild uh, that this stuff is happening kind of all at once. Um, but it's 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 the way that it should be.
0: You bet. Really. Rum, yeah. I'm going to jump us right over to our guest who's now joined us for Voices um, on our Voices segment. We like to learn about people's dr- passions, drives, and any comments that they have on topics that they find important. Deaf stand-up comedian DJ Damaris is our guest today. He's returning to Toronto on August 20th for a headlining show at the Paradise Theatre This comedy show will feature ASL Interpretation as his recent appearance on The Tonight Show, with Jimmy Fallon did. DJ will share new material and fan favorites when he comes back to Toronto, the city where he started his stand-up career before moving to Los Angeles in 2016. DJ Damaris has released um, three independent specials, has been nominated for Best Comedy Album at the Junos Awards, has performed on Conan, Three times and appeared on season 11 of America's Got Talent. And of course, the TV show that launched everything for him, the DJ Damaris show here on AMI uh, TV with the gang. My friend, welcome back. How are you? Kelly McDonald,
2: Great to hear that beautiful voice. How are you, my
0: friend? <laughs> Absolutely wonderful, Rummy, and I really appreciate you joining us, Deej. I know we're a little short on time a bit here. I want to quickly first mention your AMI-tv show, Sharp Focus. What was that all about? What was the inspiration?
2: Oh, I mean, what was that, 40, 50 years ago? Dang, <laughs> it just seems like that. But, uh, <laughs> No, I remember just being absolutely ecstatic that somebody was allowing me to be on TV. So, uh, yeah, Sharp Focus was just basically it was kind of a hodgepodge of all sorts of different accessibility things going on in Toronto and, and Ontario. And there's a little bit of humor, but I remember it was more kind of straight ahead reporting at the time, which... Uh, wasn't necessarily my forte, but I gave it my best shot and tried to inject a little humor into it. But it was a lot of fun, and AMI was great, and I got to work with a lot of cool people. So I got a lot of fun memories from Sharp Focus.
0: Yeah, I would imagine. And it's not every day anyone gets themselves a TV series. Which I mean, now when you look back, I'm sure it looks very different. I want to share something with the audience. You and I are on a promo for AMI TV. Take a listen to this.
2: I'm DJ Demersh wearing a tuxedo and I'm Kelly
0: McDonald also in a tuxedo with a top hat
2: here's what you'll be missing if you don't tune in to AMI AMI Sharp Focus is now weekly Sports Access our original sports talk show a whole new light documentary AMI This Week and Accessibility in Action and AMI Sharp Focus is now weekly DJ you already said that
0: original programming on AMI TV how come Kelly gets a top hat? Now we know why I always got the top hat, man. You remember those? Remember the going into the studio, tuxedos and all?
2: Oh, I remember that. But you know what's funny is I forgot the promo we cut where we were both wearing tuxedos. I remembered where I had I was made to look like Sinatra and you were wearing a, a queen outfit. You looked
0: like oh, oh, hold Queen on. Elizabeth. Oh, hold on. I think your memory is uh kind of reversed. I think it was the other way around, wasn't it? You the queen? Was I Sammy Davis really? Jr. in that one? Yeah. Oh,
2: may, maybe. Maybe I uh, suppressed it and kind of subverted it in my memory. I, I remember a queen outfit somewhere in there. But you know what's really funny about that promo is I kind of did a joke exactly like that on my recent Tonight Show appearance where I just repeated a line again at the end. And uh, maybe somewhere in my brain, I was being inspired by that uh, promo we got wow. all those years
0: ago. All right.
1: Uh, Shh. Don't say that too loud. Copyright issues. Okay. So- <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, hey, it sounds like this promo is a lot of fun did you always want to be a comedian we were talking at the top of the show about things we wanted to do when we were kids people we wanted to yeah play. i
2: mean as far back as i can remember i i knew i liked making people laugh and and that was why i moved to toronto from kitchener to uh to pursue stand-up so yeah i've always uh as far back as i can remember but the fact that it's actually happened and i am actually Doing it is sometimes now that it's been 13 years of me doing stand-up, it feels a little surreal that it's actually happened. So it's pretty cool. Because you went
1: after it. Yeah. That's the thing, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I was just young and stupid enough to not think about what that meant and all (laughs) that that entailed.
0: (laughs) Well, does that include uh, the part of just moving to Los Angeles and giving it a kick? I remember you and I talking about that before you left and coming down to just do it.
2: Yeah, I mean, that is pretty much, I always remember um, at my graduation, when I graduated from Wilfrid Laurier, there was a commencement speech from the founder of Chapters and in Indigo, uh, Heather Reisman. And I'll, I just remember the end of her speech, she said, the only difference between those who do it and those who don't do it is those who do it, do it and i know that's mm. like the most simple advice in the world but it really stuck with me so i was like oh why not why not just give it a shot and the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work out so yeah like i said i think i was just kind of naive enough and and stupid enough to to just like <laughs> go after it and 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 uh, i've gotten a little bit lucky but another thing is i love it so much so there was never a reason for me mm-hmm. to stop like i never fell out of love or anything so uh so it's been it's been nothing but good times doing it and i'm really appreciative for it
0: Well, we'll have to have you back on here, too. I know we lost a bit of time today, so let's get into the meat of things coming up so we get people out to your show. Uh, On the August 20th at the Paradise Theatre, it will have uh, ASL interpretation. Now, this has been pretty important for you, as we saw on your recent appearance on uh, The Tonight Show. Now, as a stand-up, is it really important to make sure this is included for you?
2: Yeah, you know, it, it's become more and more important. Um, in the beginning, I didn't necessarily think of it too much. I was just kind of trying to find my footing in the industry and and figure out if I could be funny. Um, and then the more I've done it, the longer I've done it, I've, I've had a lot more deaf and hard of hearing people kind of follow along on the journey. And, and um, now it's kind of like if I don't have it on a show that I produce, at least if I'm just doing, you know, I do shows around. LA pretty much every night of the week I'm not bringing an interpreter with me every time necessarily but uh, on any show that I'm producing yeah it's very important to me because I mean I, like my second special that I filmed was called interpreted and I had an interpreter and then the third one that I filmed I was going to not have an interpreter because I thought that would kind of be a one-off and I had a, a deaf woman reach out to me and ask if, if the third one the, the new special was going to be interpreted and I mm. said, no, not this time. And she said, why not? And mm-hmm. I didn't have a good answer. I was like, I, I don't know. So I was like, you're right. So I, I added an interpreter. And now, yeah, I, I don't see a reason to ever stop because the thought that deaf people can't even really go to comedy because there's, there's no way for them to enjoy it never yeah. crossed my mind because I was so entrenched in the hearing world because my family's hearing and I had hearing aids so it's been kind of eye-opening and ami was really eye-opening for accessibility issues in general like i even had kind of like a a sly uh wink to the the blind community in in my um my tonight show appearance just because i would have never really learned about uh descriptive video if i had if it hadn't been for my time at ami so there's all sorts of things the more i educate myself if you know something and you still don't make an effort to do it then That's where I think you can go wrong. Ignorance is one thing, but once you learn, you've got to try to make an attempt to at least make it accessible for everybody.
1: Yeah, and at a point, you got to say, like, I have to keep myself accountable if I'm going to try to keep other people accountable, right? That's super interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, From your perspectives of doing comedy, being in L.A., is there anything you want to kind of say about the disability scene in comedy? Is that that something that's noticeable?
2: Um, In terms of what? Sorry, I'm like
1: just uh, disabled comedians or comedy and disability, like do they interact with each other aside from your own experience?
2: Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I feel like there's still some ableism going on that is subtle and uh, you know, even, well, for example, this isn't necessarily LA, but I had an audition yesterday and it was over zoom and there was no no video, and they didn't have transcripts, so I had to say pardon a few times because I couldn't hear them. And I'm pretty sure I didn't get the thing I was auditioning for. And I, you know, I sent them a note after because I doubt they even knew that they were, you know, putting me behind the eight ball, wow. so to speak, with the way they had the audition set up. So, in terms of yeah. L.A. specifically, I'm not sure um, how much I can offer on that. But the industry in general, I think, still has mm-hmm. some strides or a lot of stride to make but I, I think the main thing is that people aren't thinking about it but even things like on Instagram and social media now I feel like captions are, are everywhere and um, you know embedded descriptions are more and more prevalent and I just think the more we have people advocating for it um, we're going to, to make progress and I'm not necessarily the strongest advocate out there but
0: but Anytime you're out there, man. You're out there, and that's what we need. DJ, of course, we're running. You know the time. Tell us where to grab tickets for the show this weekend.
2: Uh, go to my site, djdemaris.com. Saturday at 8 p.m., Paradise Theatre, Toronto.
0: We'll get you back on the show when you have some time, man, and talk a lot more. Thanks, DJ, for making time for us.
2: Thanks, Kelly. Great to talk to you guys.
0: You too. DJ Damaris, to catch his show uh, this weekend in Toronto. We'll wrap things up right after this on Kelly and Company.